The Pacecast from Pace Communications, hosted by Anita Pace and very special guests. I perform much better under pressure with, with a busy work programme. I've got two speeds, I think. I'm either on or I'm asleep. <laughs> so, so I always think it's about the challenge of the day ahead and, and because I, I get you know, I get bored so easily that I need constant <laughs> stimulation. So I'm thinking, right, what, 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 what mischief can I cause today? What am I going to do today that's different to yesterday? I'm a, I'm a big believer in fresh air and getting outside. I've learnt to take information, triangulate and then form an opinion and not be too reactionary because my natural state is to be quite spontaneous. Hello everybody and welcome to our September Pacecast. I'm Anita Pace, thank you for joining us. We're recording this in the middle of August um, and I'm pleased to say it's one of those rare occasions where it's a bright sunny day. So hopefully when you're listening to this in September we'll have had a few of these bright sunny days and we will have in fact had a summer. So on that bright note, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined today by Joe Barnes. And Joe is the Managing Director of Sewell Estates. And I'm looking forward to learning more about Joe's life and her career to date and what she hopes for in the future. So welcome to the Pacecast and thank you for joining us, Joe. Thanks, Anita. Nice to see you. So as always, um, we've asked our guest to bring in something that's meaningful to them. And I've, as always, I don't know what she's brought in. So I'm looking forward to hearing what it is and why it's so important to her. Well, the first thing I brought in is a little pot of Nivea cream, which is a very old-fashioned thing now, but um, reminds me very much of um, my mum and where I grew up as well in the 80s, where this was the face cream of choice for all the mums. Um, and the smell, if you ever smell this stuff, it's really evocative of of that time as well so I love it and I and I do actually still use it you know like on elbows and things yes. it's not I've upgraded my facial care since <laughs> since I used to use Nivea but um it reminds me a lot of my mum and my and obviously of home and mum and dad um and and really the reason I brought it in in relevance to today's conversation is because they really instilled in me a work ethic they both worked really hard they both had um quite manual jobs and often mum would come home and fall asleep on the sofa before she could do anything else but um she was a cleaner my dad was a postman and actually um I think that work ethic which hopefully I've passed on to my kids as well yeah. is really important and that resilience that even though you know days might not be great and you're working hard actually getting up every morning and turning up and showing up and doing your job and providing for your family is a really important thing to do so that's my first object okay thank you for that and I've broken the rules because I've brought a second object <laughs> now I really struggled with this because I could have brought any book off my bookshelf because I am an avid reader right. and have always been a bookworm and I think the reason um, I thought it might be relevant is that today's book is, um, today's book, yeah, today's today's book, book. <laughs> um, in Reading Corner is Donut Economics. And this is the latest book I'm reading. Okay. But I read Riveting, a I bet. I know, it is though. So I did economics at university okay. and I'm not a natural academic. Um, I saw reading and learning as a way out of, and this sounds dreadful, I love my hometown I was brought up in a town called Cone in Lancashire, but there was no opportunities there in the 80s. And um, I decided I was going to, I was good at school and I, I was a bookworm. You know, every every Christmas I used to get a £5 book token and I'd spend hours in WH Smith's in Burnley trying to spend this £5. Um, but it was my way to get on, really. I could see it was a way out and, and a way to, to move on with my life and have other choices, create create opportunities for myself. Mm -hmm. um, my my Dad, when I told him I wanted to go to university, I won't tell you exactly what he said because it had a swear word in it, but said, what for? What do you want to do? Yeah, what do you want to yeah. do that for? Why would you want to go to university? And, you know, in a typical teenage strop, I told him I just was. Um, and bless him then, he worked extra shifts to make sure that he could afford for me oh. to support me. But and did of course, you have, do you have siblings? I have two others, right. yeah. I'm the eldest. Right. Um, but of course, the problem is, and he didn't know because he'd never been to university and we didn't understand the grant system. The grant was just, um, it was the last year of grants before they started bringing in loans. And he didn't realise that um, him working overtime would mean that I wouldn't get a full grant. Oh, bless him. So he worked his, he worked his arse off. Yeah. And then that first year, we didn't, I didn't get a full grant. I was at university with kids from families that had businesses and they were all on full grants. 
and my dad who was the postman and my mum who was the cleaner I was on half grant so I had to get a job because my dad had worked really hard oh. it's just ridiculous isn't it but anyway system. I don't think the system's yeah. changed that much actually nah, since nah. then yeah so, so reading was always a big thing for me and it still is and you say you studied um, economics at university yeah. so did you know um, clearly you're ambitious and you had that drive and self-motivation to to try and as you said earlier get out of the town and and do something so did you have a, an idea of that age what it was you wanted to do um well actually when I was going to university I wanted to I thought at first I wanted to do English um I wanted to be a journalist and um <clears throat> I kind of went off that because I had a really inspiring economics teacher when I was doing A-levels a guy called Mike Smith who used to bring in the newspapers the broadsheets and he taught us how to read them and understand what was going on in them. So it was it was more that I'm very interested in current affairs and I'm very interested in how things work. I'm not interested at all in economics, theoretical economics. It's yeah. all about the application. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so Mike really inspired me to sort of open my eyes a little, little bit. And I thought, oh, do you know what? I might try that. It's probably, I'll probably get a better job if I do economics and English because I don't want to teach because I didn't like children particularly. <laughs> It's surprising how many teachers don't like children. Yeah, yeah, well, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do economics. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that I had a big career plan. I'd, I, I sort of wanted to be a journalist, finished my university degree, applied for loads of jobs. It was I came out in a recession in 93. And, and where was university? Sorry? Newcastle. Newcastle. So it was, um, it was the old Polytechnic. Um, it's, North, it's Northumbria University now, but it switched in my final year, I think, to Northumbria. Mm. Um, so it was the old Poly... Um, so I didn't get great grades at A-level. Um, I did okay. Um, I discovered going out and, you know, boyfriends and yeah. everything. So I, I did enough, Yeah. got to university and did enough. Um, but I, like I say, I had a full-time job practically the whole time I was there as well on top of partying and studying. So And what was the job? I was a waitress. Right. I okay. loved waitressing. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. And I used to work in a, wait, in a restaurant, which isn't there anymore, down on the... Um, on Dean Street, going down to the Quayside, it's actually a, a punk bar now. Um, it used to be called Wings Restaurant, and it was brilliant. It was just a revelation. Was it Chinese, by No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. No, it wasn't. It was part of a group that had a hotel upstairs, Surtees Hotel, and it had a nightclub called the Key Club underneath, and it had a bar, and then there was Wings Restaurant, and it was owned by a local entrepreneur called a guy called Brian, and and he, and he was well just from the way he ran that business which was very interesting I'm not sure was always entirely legitimate mm -hmm. but um it was interesting it was an interesting education but I loved working I worked with students but I also worked with a lot of people for whom that was their proper job if you mm -hmm. like they, that was mm -hmm. their full-time job so um it was a I got exposed to an awful lot more of the city through that really I saw a lot of sides of the city that I probably wouldn't have seen otherwise yeah I love that you know I absolutely love Newcastle and my son's actually just finished university there oh he's gone there yeah. as well yeah okay so you you graduated um and then tell us about the next part of your journey so where did you go from there so um I, I was offered a job when I was waitressing in Scotland um I wanted to move to Scotland after university I'd met my husband um through another friend at uni at uni he was in Dundee but I went to visit my friend in Dundee a friend from home <clears throat> and he and one of his flatmates was Richard my husband well he wasn't my husband then obviously yeah. but he is now um and um and so after I graduated he was on a four-year degree so he with the same age but he had another year and then after he did that he did his professional qualifications because he was doing law okay. so he did that for a year um so he was going to be there for a bit longer um, so I decided I was going to Scotland after graduation. And what was it about Scotland that appealed to you? Well, just him. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Something else, really. Love at first and, there was, and there was no other jobs, really, in, in, yeah. in, in all honesty. I mean, I applied for loads of jobs and got nowhere. Um, although, thinking back, I probably didn't do the applications in the right way because we had nobody to show us how to do mm. a targeted application. Um, so it was quite frustrating. I'd looked at doing a journalism course with Thompson Group after graduation, but um, I couldn't afford to do it because you had to pay for your own training. Right, right. Which I have a big problem with that now. Um, you know, we have internships in the Sewell Group and, um, you know, whatever their background. And we have to be, you know, it's... I really struggle with people from privileged backgrounds, Um been able to afford to do internships whereas kids from working class backgrounds mm. maybe can't um 
because they have to work you know they have to earn money so we always pay people properly say, right, yeah we okay. always pay people properly yeah. and and it's um and we're getting loads of internships now and mm. lots of work experience and we always we always pay okay, yeah. i mean obviously not the school kids that come to do a week but anybody that comes to do a summer or you know a, a month of work experience or whatever they do in between um university courses or after or or college courses if they're not an apprentice obviously if they're on apprentice programs they get the apprentice um uh pay and everything like yeah. that and all the support we give them so i'm just interested then just i uh, will just go off topic yeah. slightly so how many in, um work experience opportunities internships do you offer then as at soul group well a year would you say well 15 percent of our workforce is um is our target for people in gateway roles so that's graduates apprentices um traineeships and work experience wow, okay. so it'd be hard to put a number on it yeah, but that's, our, that's quite our, a high percentage though. yeah our workforce um today's is is Oh, well, what is it today? 290 people, say. 286, in the group, yeah. 287 in the estate side oh, of the, the group. Right. On the retail side of the group, um, which is obviously a diff- it's different yeah. part of the business, but on the retail side of the business, we um, have an, uh, 220, 230 staff. So yeah. we have about 500 people in the group as a whole. Right. But but the estate side, which is where people come for internships, yeah. you know, that's where they'll they'll often come for internships. Um We'll take as we take a lot of we'll take as many as we can get. Quite oh, frankly, really? a lot of people end up then coming back after university yeah. and apply for our graduate training programs, and you know we've they're tried and tested. Yeah. Um, so we regu- I mean, I can think of three in one of our consultancy practices that have started in the last four or five years, and all of them were tra- that all of them had come for work experience whilst at university. Yeah. Well, the um, fact you're remunerating the opportunities as well, you're going to be inundated now. People are going to hear this. Well, do you know what? That's great. I'd love to, to be able to, uh, you know, it's always the problem, isn't it? That people often don't know what's on their doorstep. Mm, exactly. And we, you know, we still have that issue of not attracting too many people from across the country. We have a few now starting to come through, particularly because one of our businesses, and um, we're hiring computer programmers. Mm. So people are coming from all over for that. But um there aren't many courses locally in the built environment. So most yeah. of our trainees and graduates come from, well, Northumbria is a big hunting ground. You know, uh, Newcastle yeah. um, uh, is a hunting ground because of Northumbria University. Yeah. They do a lot of surveying courses, Sheffield, Leeds. Which is ironic based on, bear in mind where you went to uni. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's, yeah. Um, let, we'll pick up on Soul Group, Soul Estates a bit later, but I just want to go back to, to, you, to you. And so you went, you're in Scotland. Yeah. You're with Rich. Yeah. <laughs> Happily, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, what did what did you end up doing then? So, I, I ended up I ended up working um, in a retail graduate retail thing because this guy that um, was a re- regional manager um, offered me a job and said if you if you want to move to Scotland I'll give you a job because he'd seen me working in the restaurant. So, I took and where it, in Scotland were you? I was in Dundee. In Dundee. But I said to I said to him I'm not interested in retail. I'd worked in retail as a kid, mm. you know, and I really wasn't interested. He said, Don't worry, if it gets you up there, it gives you some work experience while you're looking for your dream job. You see, now my dream job. Because when I was at university, I had a fantastic, uh, again, inspired by a teacher, mm. a guy called Ian Stone, who was um, one of my lecturers, and he lectured in urban economics. So that's when I really understood how you could impact on changing places. Right, you know, okay. so, and, 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 and our responsibilities as society and in, in, in helping people to be beneficiaries of that. So not just changing a place, but making sure that you're creating opportunities, jobs, business business opportunities, that kind of thing. Um so I was desperate to get into urban economics. Very few jobs. I was going to say, it's quite niche, that. It's not something yeah. that people... So I was trawling all over the country. I was happy to move if I needed to move. And I actually found a job at Fife Council, um, which is the neighbouring authority mm-hmm. to Dundee. Um, so you cross over the Tay Bridge and you're in Fife. And it was in a, it was in um, uh, for Fife Council as an economic development assistant. Mm-hmm. So it was exactly what I wanted. Yeah. And I had the most marvellous two years there. It was fantastic. I worked in a, an area of, of Five Call that was known as Leavenmouth, which was a few um, hard-pressed towns that were sort of strung along the coast, um, you know, just up from Edinburgh, um, that had high rates of unemployment, had high rates of drug abuse. Um, I don't, you know, there was, there was a lot of... Um, cheap heroin imports into um edinburgh and into the into scotland in the 80s so we had a lot of intergenerational problems with substance abuse so trying to get those younger people motivated um was tough but i got to do because it was a small team i got to do loads of stuff so i was working on um getting 
uh, young people into work. I was working with small businesses to help them start up. I was working on uh, derelict land reclamation. We had old steelworks mm-hmm. and things like that where we had to sort out poisoned land and get government money to do it. So it was a real education. It was it was fantastic. And we had some funny, funny times as well. <clears throat> I remember... Um, I'd helped a, um, I can't remember if it was prawns or langoustines, but anyway, some fishermen, um, this guy needed to repair his boat and he was, it was his livelihood. And he came into the office and asked for, we had grants that yeah, we used to give yeah. people. So I gave him this grant and then I'd, I was out and about doing some of my site visits and things. And I came into the office and the receptionist said, oh, I'm glad you're back. I can't do a Scottish accent now. <laughs> I could then. I'm glad you're back because um, I've got something for you. And she went into the, into the staff kitchen and hauled out two massive carrier bags of these prawns, prawns <coughs> in their shells. Nice. <laughs> and my mother-in-law actually lived about 10 miles away and I didn't know what to do with these. And I had a, I lived in a, effectively a student house, you know, so I had a tiny little ice box in my fridge. I thought, well, what am I going to do with all these prawns? So I went to my mother-in-law's house, Anne's house, and... Um, and we sat there shelling and washing and freezing these prawns for the rest of the night. And she's like, why? What? Why? Why did he give you these? And I don't know. But people just used to randomly turn up. I mean, now you probably couldn't accept the gifts. But, no. but nobody's, you know, we didn't. It was one of those things. That, well, how do you turn away this guy? He didn't even ask, really, to if he could. He just dumped them on the reception. They're there for Joe. Oh, you obviously appreciated the help you yeah, gave him. Well. <laughs> and you dined on prawn curry for the rest we are, of the year. Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. We had a lot of frozen prawns. So clearly that was a good um, foundation yeah, for your career brilliant. and what you've learned, what you learned in economic development and urban economics. So how did you go from Fife Council to East Yorkshire? <clears throat> was, that the, was that the next step? No, next step was Lancashire. Right, oh, back went, to Lancashire. I went back to Lancashire because um, I didn't really want to go back to my hometown. I ended up living back, I bought a house in my hometown. But After I did, you'd escaped. I'd escaped, but then I'd gone back for a good job, you see, right. so that was probably different. With Rich in tow? Uh, yes, it was his turn to move. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you were married by this point because you mentioned your mother-in-law. So. Uh, we weren't married just then. Oh, okay. we were ma- she was um, she was to be my mother-in-law. We right. were married a few... Uh, just as we were leaving Lancashire, actually, we got married. But um, he was... He'd gone... In the meantime, he'd gone to Cambridge. So he decided he didn't want to practice law. And he did his master's at Cambridge University, which was amazing because Richard's, Richard's background, um, he's from... Uh, a council estate in Glenrothes. His mum and dad were very similar to mine in terms right, of their yeah. careers and, and, and jobs that they had. They were jobs, really, not careers. And um, But he's a very bright guy. And he had a very inspiring lecturer, a guy called Ian, who we're still friends Again, with today, who it. said to him, why are you messing about at this? Your brain, you shouldn't be working in practice. You should be a professor. You, know, oh, you right, should be so following that track okay. to get a chair, to get a chair. So he sent him down the academic route, which actually he's absolutely loved and, and he's still in. Um, <clears throat> so he was he was doing bits of teaching um, and he'd just got his uh, PhD at Hull. So for two years, we basically commuted between Hull and Lancashire. I had a job as the town centres officer in, in Pendleborough Council, which again was fantastic. I had five towns to look after. I absolutely adored it. Brought loads of different festivals and events and activities. And I used to go out and do industrial grants for... Um, where I had to sign the in, in, uh, the Official Secrets Act because it was, we had a lot of manufacturing companies around our area that worked in the nuclear industry or in defence. So there was all sorts of really exciting stuff. Loved it. Great team of people. Um, but then it was my turn to move. Yeah. Because yeah. he, his PhD turned into a, a, a lectureship and I came across to work. I got a job at... Um, Hull City Vision, yeah, which um, on the I was working on the River Hull Corridor Regeneration Program, and that was in 1999. It was the year we got married as well. So I moved across as a missus um, to to Hull. Um, so that was that, and, and then you're still here, twenty yeah. years later. And I said I'll move across for a couple of years. Yeah. But I'm not sure about this place really. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't really like it, which is I can't quite believe that. But I've said, you know, I've said before, but people once they're here, you know, they get kind of sucked in sucked in yeah you realize what a great place it yeah. is but the, i didn't find the people very friendly oh that's surprising because a lot of people say that they, that's one of the things they do like about i know the area. i know well after i'd been here 12 months i realized that they were very friendly actually mm. it's just that they were probably you know it's that whole thing of strangers coming in and, yeah. and different accents and stuff but because at that point i had a real really weird hybrid of part Geordie, part Scottish, part Lancashire. So you see, I'm not picking up any no, of that now. because I've been here so long, <laughs> yeah. that's why. Um, so yeah, I came across, did that, 
uh, worked on the city centre master plan for Hull, um, helped helped um, develop and set up the urban regeneration company for Hull, and left um, the public sector mm. in two thousand and eight when um, I left as economic development director for Hull City Build. Um, and I absolutely adored working on the um, city centre regeneration. It was brilliant. But I was ready for a change. Yeah, yeah. I was I was ready to do something different. I think um, I'd been doing what I'd been doing for fourteen. 14 years or so um, and an opportunity came up to work with the Soul Group um, I'd sort of knew Paul a little bit from um, from he sat on our board as a private sector yeah, representative yeah. at City Build and he's quite a big figure in Hull he is that time but he was Hull, terrifying yeah. I mean he was absolutely <laughs> terrifying yeah I used to have to go and do but I've told him this he knows this but I used to have to go and do board presentations to the board at City Build and I used to dread it because he was he was awful he was really hard you know whatever you said it wasn't right <laughs> and um and afterwards when I've challenged him on that a few times he said well you know I, I just wanted to make sure you were as good as I thought you were I was just testing you it's like uh, right okay yeah. just because when he when he when he offered me a role I, I said are you sure because all yeah. I've been getting for several years was a load of grief yeah you know, criticism but, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. so I, I came across to Soul Group um to run something called Hull City Care, which was our, one of our public-private partnerships. So it was a segue, really, because um, what they needed was somebody that understood the public sector. Mm. And I didn't know anything about the NHS, but I knew about local government and, and about central government. Um, <clears throat> but I knew about property development, because I've been doing that for a lot of years from the public sector side of things. Um, so so I came across and... Uh, and, and uh, yeah, and soon got under the skin of it. It was it was it was interesting because Paul had said to me, "You'll find it very different to the public sector. We, you know, we're, the the pace is much faster." Um, well, he's right in terms of decision making. Definitely, yeah. he's not right in terms of hard work because I didn't work any differently. I found actually I had a bit more flexibility in the private sector because at that point I had two children, um, so my eldest would have been um, six and my youngest was four. And were you working full-time with two yes. little ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I came back to work full-time after birth. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Richard at that point was, um, he, he was going up through the ranks at Hull University. Um, I can't remember exactly where he was then, he was, whether he was a lecturer or a reader or whatever. Or, and he shortly after that became a chair, so that's a you know, professor. Um, he's now at Lincoln and Tromso oh, right. University. Yeah, I he's at Lincoln and Tromso in, in Norway. Yeah. So he's at, in Tromso at the minute, actually. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, he was sort of on that track. Um, and it, and then the flexibility that working... Paul had promised me that it would feel like I was working for myself. And I always wanted to run my own business. Mm. I'd met lots of inspiring entrepreneurs mm. on my journey, as you can probably imagine, with some of the people I yeah. came into contact with. And, and actually, I really wanted to run my own business. And he said, well, this is the next best thing. You know, it's not your own business, but it'll feel like your own business. It's my business. Yeah. You're going to work for me. No, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I did. So I did that. Um, I just want to pick up on the point, actually. As so, you were a mum of two little ones. So, how yeah. did you, how did you navigate that working full time and having the two children? Well, uh, I reflect on this a lot with some yeah, of our younger yeah. women coming up through the business now, and and honestly. I haven't got um, a magic bullet to this. I just feel like I was running for about 10 years, mm. 10, 15 years. I'd have, I ran everywhere. I'm serious. I mean, you know, I mean, I had um, nursery drops and then I had nursery and school drops, mm. um, both ends of the day. Um, it was harder when they were at school. Yeah. It was easy at nursery because you could wait until six to pick them yeah. up. So you could actually then scoot home, pick them up, get them fed, get them to bed and then do some more work, yeah. you know, and catch up on what you'd missed. But when they were at school, it was hard, at primary school, it was harder because, of course, you know, they kick them out at three-ish, yep. don't they? So yeah. you've got to Half be around. through the afternoon. I mean, it's not even the end of the day. Yeah, and we, don't, and we didn't have any family near us because yeah. our family all lives away. We had a very good circle of friends who were in a similar position to us, so we used to pick each other's kids up. Um, I would do a drop-off and pick up once a week. Um, but I couldn't commit more than that. But how did you how did you cope with the the mum guilt of the work versus oh, yeah. the well all the time? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you ever get over it no. to be honest. Um, but I read an article when I was in my thirties, which really helped me. And it was I can't even remember. It was I'm a I'm a Guardian reader. I'll confess now. So it was probably in the in one of the Guardian or yeah. um, one of the feature pieces that they do. Um, 
but there was a woman who um, was talking about mum guilt and how she was a she was a journalist in America and how she had these really big jobs. She worked covering the White House and all sorts of stuff. Um, and she'd always felt really guilty about it, but she'd had, you know, she had two or three big things happen in her life. Her first husband died young, um, and because of her job, she had her kids in private school. She didn't have to take them out of private school, so the kids weren't disrupted more than they had to be because, of course, their dad had just died. Yeah. She kept the house. Everything was stable. Um, her second husband, I mean, she's a pr- pretty unlucky woman, really, wasn't she? Her second husband went and had an affair, but again, she was self she was self sufficient, yeah. um, and it's just and and I actually thought, do you know what? This isn't because this isn't just about me getting my kicks because I'm a very competitive person. Mm. So it's not about me getting my kicks and having a, a nice big job and saying have an I done well. It's making sure that my family has a stable foundation as well as anything else, and um, and that we don't worry in the way that my family worried about money. You know, mm. money was a big thing for, for my family. It was a big thing for Richard's, Richard's family as well. We never had any money. You know, we didn't ask for things because we knew you were just making your parents feel bad. Yeah. So we always had, you know... Um, I've got another friend who lives in this area and she's from Accrington and she, she said, oh, I was a second-hand I was a second hand Sally. I said, well, I wasn't a second-hand mm. Sally, but we were at the market. All our clothes were from the market, yeah. you know, and the big markets they have in the northwest. And we never had any, you know... Even and I was a, I was I loved sports, and I had the cheapest crappest trainers. Mm. You know, when the people that weren't even any good at sport all had like all the labelled stuff. I didn't have any of that. Um, and it's not about what you've got, but it's that's an easy thing to say when you've got it. Yeah, it's hard when you've got nothing. Yeah. So I was always, and I still feel that way. You know, I always feel like you never know when you if it if it if it ends. Yeah, you know. So providing financial security for your family. Yeah, has been and choices. Yeah. yeah, and that freedom of choice. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, so you're not trapped. Yeah, you know. So that's the thing for me. So how long were you at Citycare for S- then? So um, technically, I was the chief exec for quite a few years, but um, I brought in, I, I grew our team, started to grow the team, um, and in 2012, I decided that I really did want my own business. So just running somebody else's business, although it was, I, I made a, an awful lot of, you know, the decisions and, and all of that. I it still wasn't want, yours. wasn't mine. Yeah. <laughs> so um, after a few, sort of a few sort of false starts with CityCare at trying to, to ex, um, encourage the shareholders in CityCare to broaden their scope and for me to have an equity share, it wasn't really possible because it was a public-private partnership. Mm. So um, with their blessing... Um, I started another business, took the small team, there was five of us then in CityCare, took the small team across to a new business I was starting under a management agreement and sold services back to CityCare. So it essentially enabled me to start a business relatively low risk. And the idea was that I started this business called Shared Agenda and we would then sell estates advisory services, consultancy services to um mostly to public bodies actually across the UK to help them decide what to do with their estates because obviously a property was something I knew a lot about yep. um, and I knew a lot about working in the public sector and I'd, I'd had a lot of experience of unlocking complicated situations um, in terms of new developments or reusing old the facilities. The Shared Agenda was your company? Yes, well, partially. So um, at that point, I didn't know whether Shared Agenda was going to be a development vehicle as well. So... Me and Paul hatched a plan on the plane on the train back coming from London one time. We'd been to see one of our city care shareholders. And it was clear to me they weren't going to do anything with us. So I said, look, we're going to have to start our, our own. And he said, well, that's fine. I'll back you. Mm. Because I thought I would end up buying land. Right, um, okay. And we did buy some land, but um, it didn't really turn out how we thought. I thought we'd, we'd do some property development as well as do the advisory. But we did so much advisory that it became very much about being a consultancy Consultant, business. Yeah. So we still have land assets that we bought. Um, but, um, yeah, we uh, we didn't end up becoming a development vehicle. Actually, the development that we've done is through Sewell Investments because yeah. we have an investments vehicle in the group. Um, so, yeah, that, that sort of happened over time as well. So I started the business, its first trading year was 2013, and it was hard, you know. Hard slog. It is, isn't yeah. it? You know, yeah. starting a business... Um, I remember coming back from winning one of our first contracts in York and it was a tiny commission and I rang um, a couple of colleagues including Paul and I was high-fiving myself in the car driving back saying I can't believe it we've just got this commission 
And he said, oh, he said, the last time you rang me this excited, you just closed, you just closed the deal on Wilberforce Health Centre. That was a £16 million job. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I rang him about a 15 grand commission. Yeah. But, it, <laughs> but was, it was as big it, to me. Exactly. And it, it was, was so important. Yeah, it was and, really important and it was yeah. hard fought. I mean, I, I, you know, I think it was my fifth trip to the customer that I actually secured it. So, you know, that resilience thing comes in, doesn't it? it does. Anyway, so from, from Small Acorns, that team has grown substantially and I think <clears throat> it's now... It's now doing work all over the country, and um, um, you know the team is five times the size it was then. We've got twenty-five people. So is this now part of um, yeah. Silver States? So yeah. So then, so then something else happened. Yeah. So, so I've been doing that for a good few years, <clears throat> and um, and just before you move on, how did you find it compared then? So, effectively, your business, mm. you're running it, you're making the decisions. How did it compare to working for someone else? Oh, it was brilliant. It was liberating. To be honest, ever since I joined the Soul Group in 20, well, 2008, um, within weeks I felt liberated. So it wasn't, it was a big thing. Mm. Having my own business was a big thing, but I'd already felt partially liberated. Yeah. And that sounds awful. And I really, you know, we, you know, we do an awful lot of work with the public sector and um, the talent that's in the public sector is phenomenal. And I think it's a shame that they get overlooked a lot of the time and um, they get the kind of, <clears throat> they don't get the, the plaudits that they deserve because they're, they're dealing with some very difficult um, agendas, if you mm. like, in very difficult circumstances. But I needed a change and I, yeah. I did feel liberated when I came out of, um, out of it. So yeah, so, so the shared agenda thing, Paul was keen for me to come across and run group. Yeah. Um, and the group's got seven businesses in it now, the estate side of the business. Including Shared Agenda. Including Shared Agenda. Yeah. But, I, but I wasn't ready. I wanted to make Shared Agenda a success first. Yeah. So um, I think two and a half years ago, I took the role of Group MD because uh, I was ready. And I'd mm. got the team ready to take over. Because you know the thing as well about when, <clears throat> when you founded a business, customers want you. Yes. So you've got to get them to want your team yep. before you can step away, haven't you? Because yeah. that's it's, it's a people business. Um, so that's what we had to do, really, to get it to get to a point where I could step away, knowing that it was in good hands, and it is in good hands. We've got a great team. So since then, uh, in groups, so we've got construction. We have two construction companies, um, Illingworth and Gregory, who were a company out at Elland, um, that we a family business that we bought uh, in twenty seventeen. We've got Sewell Construction, which has been going 147 yeah. years. We have Sewell FM, which has been going probably, oh gosh, well, 30 plus years now. Facilities management, Facil not a radio station. Yeah, yeah, not a radio station. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. For the listeners. Uh, talking in jargon. Uh, yeah, facilities management business looks after some commercial properties, but an awful lot of um, health centres, uh, primary schools, that kind of thing. Great team of people. <clears throat> Actually, our biggest single company in terms of headcount. Oh right, okay. Yeah, uh, with 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 a big base in York as well as in yeah. Hull, um, and then we have our consultancy practices. So we bought um, we bought one of our, well, they were our competitor, but they were a very friendly competitor because they were a competitor that had been very supportive to me over the years. We bought that company, a company called Community Ventures, and um, the old um, the old. He's not going to like me me saying that when he when he retires this year. He's not old, um, but he retires this year, Nigel. Um, the chief exec of that business was it was a was a bit of a mentor to me when I set up my business. Right. Okay. So he he, he ended up creating his own buyer eventually because yeah. we, we bought him. But he now works for you. Well, technically, yeah. yes, <laughs> but I don't think so really. <laughs> <laughs> so we bought that company um, in in two goes. Actually, we bought him and his colleague colleagues out, and then we bought Galliford Try, who were the majority shareholder out last year. So that company is now fully embedded in group and they're brilliant people. Offices in Stockton, Leeds and um, Nottingham. And then we bought another company called Parallel from um, we were we were a they were um, a mapping service that maps a lot of NHS data and public sector data. Um, and we actually used them as part of our consultancy offer. We bought services from them to help with our consultancy reports. And the outgoing um, chief exec of that business, the owner of that business, um, wanted to retire as well. So mm. Retirement is, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? And um, he wanted to make sure he, he sold his business to a company that 
he only had one employee at that point, but right. they, he would leave him in safe hands. Yes, yeah. So um, we bought that business a couple of years ago and that team's now, um, gosh, I'm going to get this wrong. I think they're at, I want to say seven, but I think they might be at six. Right. Um, but we've given that opportunity to, because um, to, Ash has now left the business, he's retired and, and Claire one of our up-and-coming leaders mm. in the group. She's running that business. I know, Claire. She used to be marketing manager. She did. She? So she's doing really well. She's done really well. But, yeah. you know, for us in the group, it's all about attitude, um, flexibility, willing willing to give, give things a go mm. and being brave about your choices and having a go at things. I cannot stand ambivalence. Mm. Honestly, no, if there's one thing that's I. a massive turn-off. We, you know, we're all about energy and passion. And, and attitude. <laughs> and attitude. Yeah. And she's created her own opportunities. Yeah, no, she's you know. doing really well. It's um, really good. And that business, it's a very small business, but it reminds me a lot of Shared Agenda in, in that it's got so much potential. In fact, her potential is probably even bigger because it's global. Mm. Yeah, it's exciting. So, there's, there's, so you, I've just put that, now it's on record, so that's the pressure, <laughs> Claire, Claire, if you're listening. <laughs> so um, you've obviously got this, well, firstly, congratulations on your success. I mean, you're doing fantastically well by the sounds of it, and you've got this big role now managing Sewell Estates and all these these subsidiaries, if that's the right word, of Sewell Estates. So what does a typical day look like for Joe Barnes when she's at work then? Um <clears throat> I don't know if I've really got to, but I do spend a lot of time in board meetings because obviously if uh, one of the downsides of having so many businesses is that you have a lot of boards and we have some public sector partnership boards mm-hmm. as well. So I sit on more than a dozen boards. Um, so I do spend a chunk of my month uh, in board meetings or preparing for board meetings. And are or, these all over the country rather than just in the local they're, they're most They're mostly in, well, they're all in Yorkshire. Right. So mm-hmm. so they're either at head office in, in East Hull or they're in Elland um, or in Leeds, depending on which business we're, we're, we're rocking up for that day. <laughs> um, I spend a lot of time with our senior leaders. So we have, um, a, a, you know, quite a, a number of chief executives and MDs now running those businesses um, and some key people there that um, are, are on their own development journey so I spend time with them supporting them helping them where I need to give me a bit of coaching informal coaching on the side um and obviously as well you know part of my job is to do the performance management bit yeah. so I do that too um and I try and do bits of work in between all of that really so I have other things that I do for the group um We've got a big scheme out at Hedden called Yorkshire Energy Park, and I'm still heavily involved in that scheme. I'm on the Freeport board now as well because that's linked to that scheme. So, yeah, I spend a lot of time um, driving as well, more than I used to probably. But I tend to try and... I've I've worked out how to make my days really efficient because I I don't have time to not be efficient. Mm. So if I'm driving over to Elland... You know, I make sure I get my site visits in. I see yeah. my, t- my top team, and we try and do that around board meetings. And so I might have a busy couple of days over there every month, but they're very much focused on that team. So I try and do that really with with whoever I'm going to see. So it just makes more sense. So if I was going to ask <coughs> one of your senior leadership team to describe you as a, a what sort of leader is Joe? <laughs> what do you think they'd say? <laughs> oh God, <clears throat> that's a really hard question. I haven't asked them, by the way. No. Well, uh, hardworking, committed, I would hope they would say energetic, full of enthusiasm and positivity and passion. I, say, I would say so positive all the time. Yeah, well, not all the time, obviously. We have bad days and good days. I think they would put the, downs, the yin to the yang with all of that stuff, of course, is that um, I'm impatient. Yeah, I am like that. So, you know, that's... that's um, I'm not even going to call it a weakness because I think it's, it can be a strength. <laughs> Your team maybe don't think that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it can be a weakness, obviously. Um, I want everybody to move at the same pace as as I want to move. Um, Do you get easily frustrated then? Less so these days. Mm. I'm getting old. Mm. Less so these days. I used to. um, But you've got to remember, haven't you, that... um, that as the MD of any business, you're on stage yeah. and it's all right having a hissy fit, but it doesn't do you any favours no. in terms of your own personal brand. So if I have my hissy fits, they tend to be in private. I'm not a, somebody that will scream and shout, no way. No, you don't I'd, strike me as someone like that. No, not at all. Um, not at all in those circumstances. I think it's really disrespectful because the other thing I've learned is, you know, 
you've got to find out what you've actually got to find out what's gone on mm. and you've got to dig a bit deeper because there's always at least two sides and maybe 12 sides to every story so I've learned to take information triangulate and then form an opinion and not be too reactionary because my natural state is to be quite spontaneous yeah so I've got to yeah. rein that bit in but um yeah, I think uh, I would hope that they say those things anyway. So it sounds like it's going very well. Um, is there anything that keeps you awake at night? Oh, anything yeah, you often. Worry about? Yeah. Can well, you share apart, any of those with us? Apart from the menopause, do you mean? Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think I'm pretty much through the worst of that. But anyway, that's yeah. another story. Mm. Um, uh, people issues. Yes. Wouldn't it, it be easy if you didn't have any staff? <laughs> But wouldn't it be boring as yeah. well? Yeah, what would we um, do all day? It's never the projects, it's never the businesses and the projects because whilst they can be very stressful and particularly when you're coming up to a big deal and everything seems to be going wrong, that is stressful, but it's functional. You can do stuff about mm. that. The thing I sweat over is how how to, how to deal with um, difficult people issues and that might not be that somebody's not performing. It might be that they're going through a really hard time yeah. and I can't think of a way to help them. You know, you mm-hmm. want to help them. We're very much, and I know it sounds, everyone says this, don't they? We are, but we are a bit of a weird place. We are, we are definitely a work family and people do pitch in and help each other out in ways that is really inspiring to me, actually. Mm-hmm. So stuff that I'm not even aware of and I'll go to site and somebody will have had a bereavement and the team's all pitched in and it's not a bother. It's never an issue. Mm-hmm. They would always do this for the, you know, it's that real kind of, they've got the mission clear and they all look at, watch each other's backs. And that is just lovely to see. And it's not something that they're told to do. You know, we hire decent people who just do that. So that's the sort of thing that I love seeing. But yeah, you know, we all go through hard times, don't we? And ups and downs. And I think it can be really hard when you care a lot about 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 your team and about the people mm. that you work with that you want to help them get through whatever they're going through. And that, that's, the, that's always the challenge, I it's think. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Because you've got to divorce the emotion from the... At the end of the day, it's a, it, it is it a, business. Is a business. Yeah, yeah, but you've got to have compassion as well. Mm. So we often make decisions too late yeah. if somebody's not performing because we, we give them a bit of wiggle room because of what's happening in their private life. Um, and... You know, from doing that, we've had far more successes than than problems because I can think of some of our top performers who've had real struggles and we've given them a bit of flexibility in the period that they've needed, a bit of extra help and they've come back and paid us back tenfold, you know. So, yeah, you're always going to get the odd person who takes the mickey, but Mm. most people don't. don't. Most people. So what do you enjoy most about your job then, would you say? The variety, I you, think. I would say you've got a very varied yeah. <laughs> role. Yeah, the variety. I'm, 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 I'm pretty rubbish at s- sitting still for too long. I need a. I actually don't focus properly unless I've got a lot of things going on. All right. So the busier you, you are, the better. The, yeah. Yeah. I perform much better under pressure with with a busy work program. I've got two speeds. I think I'm either on, or I'm asleep. Yeah. And <laughs> so when I go on holiday, it takes me a few days to stop buzzing about the resort and yeah. seeing what's going on. And I want to just check and I'm, and I'm up and down and then, and then, and then I'm on a sun lounger for three days and don't move because I've just become comatose. And can you switch off? Do you think? Yeah, I can. Yeah. And, and I'm a, I'm a big believer in fresh air and getting outside. I'm hopeless at gyms. I've, I've do just, you play a bit of tennis? I know. I do play tennis. Yeah. I used to run, um, and, but I can't really run very far now because I've got a dodgy foot, but I can still play tennis. Mm. I had an operation on my foot last year and it didn't really fix it. Um, but I ran from having my youngest, um, I ran until I was in my late forties, um, which probably caused the dodgy foot. And running, you mean like road running? Yeah, yeah. 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 Just, and I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't any good. Um, I was a cart horse more than a racehorse, um, but <laughs> but I liked it. Yeah, I liked it because it cleared my head. Yeah, yeah. It definitely cleared my head. So I can't really do that anymore. I am going to try and start doing it a bit more. Um, but you can play tennis. Can so play foot's tennis. Okay to play tennis. Then. It is. It hurts afterwards. But, oh, but it's fine. Yeah, I like playing tennis. And you and said earlier you're, you're quite competitive. I am. So yeah, that's and, how you, you and I'm in a team now. I'm in a tennis team. Look at that. I'm in a tennis team. I didn't play tennis till I was in my mid-40s. Oh, right. Okay. So you've only taken it recently mm, then? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought well, it was probably early 40s. Yeah. Right. As, a, as a cardio thing. Yeah. And then I started playing properly 
And this year I joined I joined the tennis club team in my local tennis club. So um So you're pretty decent then. No. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not. I'm really not. I'm uh, in like the bottom team. And um and we've not won anything yet, but we are gonna win something. I will make sure we're gonna win something. We <laughs> will win something. If it kills me, we'll win something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and is there anything else you do outside of work to unwind or is it primarily the tennis? It's it's um well, I'd, you know, I'd, 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 we, we, we walk a lot. Um, I'm in a choir. Oh, <laughs> did not know that. I actually started a choir in the Soul, Soul Group during um, uh, City of Culture. Did you? We were called the Ransom Notes. Um, and it was the most hilarious choir you've ever, honestly, it was How brilliant. How many were in the choir? Uh, I think it was about 25 of us. Paul there? No. No. <laughs> But um, and we weren't particularly good, but we had a really good time. Do you so. know what? When I was at KCOM, we did um, we did this choir thing. I remember why we did it. We ended up singing at half time at Hull KL match or something. I don't know why, why we did it, but anyway, yeah. And um, it was the first time I'd ever done anything like that, and I found it so joyful. It is it put, really put me in such a good mood. It is. Singing. It really is. So yeah. I I, si- I sing every year in the Fit Mums Choir because I'm still a fit mum even right. though I don't run. Um, I was one of the early members of Fit Mums in oh, Cottingham okay, yeah. and then obviously Sam's gone on and done some amazing yeah, things yeah. and she'd be good to do one of these podcasts. Yeah, she it? would actually. I see her sometimes at the track. Anyway, that's another yeah, story. Yeah, so, she, so her story's amazing. But um, so, she, so yeah, so I'm still a, I'm still a Fit Mum and I do, they do a choir every year for three months. Um, so I've been doing that for, gosh, I don't know how long we've been doing that now, more than 10 years. Um, never thought I could sing, to be honest. I was never in the choir at school or anything and I'm not particularly a good singer but I can hold an I can hold a tune um and, and apparently I'm an alto so there you go and and we had a really good choir mistress who really gave us a lot of confidence um and we've had several since because she's she's moved on and we've had some fantastic um choir master, masters and mistresses I don't know if that's what you call them but that's what we called ours um and yeah and it was just really good to be it was really it was really interesting to discover that i mean i've always i've always sung to myself and sung in the car yeah. obviously and we all think we're brilliant um but i didn't realize how much i would enjoy it but it's been really good and i've literally just joined a few months ago the all for one choir in hull okay. uh, with a friend of mine who's been desperate who's a good singer who's been desperate to join another choir outside of this three-month um hiatus we have every year with fit mums where we do we do the fit mums thing so i've joined it so we'll see but it is a bit mad if you ever see anything they do, they are a bit crazy, but it's very good fun. Yeah. So other than being perhaps a better singer, is there anything else you would change about yourself if you could? Maybe your foot? <laughs> yeah, I'd like to have a working foot. A fully functioning foot would be good. Um, I'd like to be a bit more zen sometimes, Okay. I think. Yeah, because, yeah, I, I do have to work on, on being calm and all of that stuff. Do you, do you worry a lot? then about things do you think I've, yeah yeah I, I, yeah i worry i worry about stuff all the time in a small way you yeah. know not it doesn't it's not particularly distracting i don't i don't suppose i'm just used to it but professionally or i think everything okay. i mean you know we were talking earlier on about about kids weren't we and yeah. um, families and and i think you always worry what you know what, whatever they're doing you're always worried about them aren't you, you can, i think i think that yeah. my mum said that to me before you know that um even long after I'd got married, left, you know, left home, got married, had children, had good jobs and mm. oh, I still worry about you, yeah, you know. Still the mum. Yeah, still the mum. And you've still got, it's hard to break off from, from um, you know, because I'm at that transition now with my kids where they are adults yeah. now. In the 20s they'll be now. Yeah, 21 and 19. Right, okay. Yeah, so, so that's difficult to switch off and realise. I mean, the eldest one's been living away from home for three years, but I'm still his mum, you know. Yeah. So it is hard. That is really hard and nobody tells you how to do it. No. you know and it's really hard to get that right and not feel like you've been you know get the balance too controlling being, yeah, or yeah. you know whatever you know yeah. you've got to sort of step back let and be go. a bit more yeah. let go and be a bit more zen about it yeah. all god i've got because they will make mistakes yeah that's i made loads of mistakes um i didn't have anybody mopping up after me when i made a mistake i, I took the brunt of it you know whether it was a financial mistake or a a work mistake or a relationship mistake I was just left to my own devices so on that subject then and the benefit of hindsight what would you have done differently are you quite happy with I'm quite with happy with where I am actually yeah yeah I'm quite happy I oh, think there are nice. mine are all about people and how you would be different with different yeah. people rather than about 
the career. Yeah. Um, I'm quite happy with where I am. I can't really imagine doing anything else now, which is a really weird thing to say, isn't it? But, um, yeah. But if you can say that genuinely, then you, you're in the right place, aren't you? I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. I'm, it's I, I am, I say I'm quite happy. I'm very happy with where I am. I just think. Even though you are in East Yorkshire. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like it now. <laughs> 20 years in. <laughs> yeah. If I didn't like it, I would have gone. Yeah, I yeah. am that, you know, it, the spontaneity would have moved me on yeah. if I didn't, if I didn't like it. I absolutely love it. Well, it's, it's lovely to hear that you are happy and clearly you're very successful and congratulations again. And I'm sure your, your mum and dad are very proud of what you've achieved um and thank you for sharing your story with us so before you go i do have one final question for you okay. and that's been left by our previous guest um she didn't know who she was leaving the question for so it's quite a general question and that question is what motivates you to get out of bed in the morning probably rushing to the loo yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I, I don't know if i don't know if you've picked you've probably picked this up anyway but i think and this sounds again, it sounds really trite to say it, but every, I I just think, you know, I love variety and I love pos- and I'm a positive person. And every day you just don't know what I've learned is sometimes when you get out of bed in the morning and you think, oh, I've got this to do and that to do. I really don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I can't be bothered with that. They're the ones, they're the things that you need to do because that's when the big opportunities come. Mm. And it's really weird. And the thing you're looking forward to doing is usually a bit of a non-event. So so I always think it's about the challenge of the day ahead. And and because I, I get, you know, I get bored so easily that I need constant <laughs> stimulation. So I'm thinking, right, what, 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 what mischief can I cause today? What yeah. am I going to do today that's different to yesterday? Um, but again, when you're used to working for as many years as... as I've worked, we've worked now, you, you, um, you're just on automatic pilot, aren't you, in all honesty? So you do just throw your legs out of bed and get going. And then you realise once you're moving that actually you're looking forward to the day, but you're not looking forward to the day necessarily when you're just literally when waking up, the alarm off. goes yeah. off. And, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it, it's the variety and, the, ch- and the, change, the change that you might be able to make and the opportunities that you might find for you or for somebody else. So I, I'm, I'm big at uh, matching people up with opportunities as well. Oh, I love that. That's good. That's brilliant. Thank you. That's a, a great place to end. So thanks again for your time, Joe. That's I hope right. you enjoyed it. Um, and good luck making mystery for the rest of the day. Thanks for joining us this month. As always, if you'd like to contact us, please do get in touch via our social media channels. Um, that's it for now. And I look forward to seeing you again next month. Bye bye. This Pacecast was recorded and produced by Engine 7 Audio, award-winning audio production.